What is up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the American Deciding Factor podcast. And today we are breaking down the Russia-Ukraine conflict and where we're at and how we got here. So that's what we're going to be talking about this episode to help explain it for some people who might not understand it or for people who do understand it to just kind of give a better explanation, a better argument, or maybe a better understanding of it. So let's go ahead and jump right in. So at the beginning of this, we're going to go through a little bit of history just to kind of clarify how we got to the position that we have gotten into. But I'm going to try and go through this very fast because I don't want it to be a very long portion. We're mainly focused on where we are now in this episode, but I do want to give some context and help you guys understand why it is that this conflict is going on so much and why it tends to be a recurring theme throughout uh, global politics. Right, because so, Ukraine and Russia have like a really deep history. Like it's yeah. it didn't just start in 1991 when they left the Soviet Union. Like and it's it been, didn't it's just been start around in for a long time. But yeah. Yeah, so basically the, uh, the area of Kievan Rus was the first Slavic state. And if you don't know, Kievan Rus is now called Kiev. And Kiev is the capital of Ukraine. It's the uh, capital city, and that is where the government is of Ukraine, basically. Uh, but this place was the first Slavic state uh, back when it was known as Kievan Rus, and it was the birthplace of both Russia and Ukraine. So these two countries were born out of the same city, like out of the same area. Uh, this was a long, long time ago. Um, and then fast forward a little bit to the 13th century, which would be like 1200s, uh, the Mongols conquered Kievan Rus, and then it was kind of, it was a very disputed area, it was kind of passed around from hand to hand, 16th century, uh, the Polish and the Lithuanians invaded and took control, and then finally in 1793, Ukraine was annexed by Russia, so Russia stepped in, and kicked out the Polish, the Lithuanians, the Mongols, who were already kicked out by the Polish and the Lithuanians. Anyways, Russia uh, annexes Ukraine and gives it its freedom. However, in the process, it decided to do uh, what most people refer to as the Rus uh, Russification or Russification, however you want to say it. And this meant that Russia was going to have a very strong influence in Ukraine and that... Uh, the Ukrainian language was banned, and there was quite a bit of pressure from Ukrainians to kind of uh, convert to the Russian Orthodox faith. And Russia, though giving Ukraine their freedom, kind of wanted to play a part in this new country. So fast forward 200 years, or almost 200 years, to 1922, and Ukraine ends up finding itself absorbed by the Soviet Union. I believe it fought a civil war to try and stay out of it. However, um, ended up being absorbed by the Soviet Union, partially because of its instability. And while it was in the Soviet Union, this is where we get the Holodomor, I believe is what people say, uh, how it's said, which is a Ukrainian, is a, it was a famine in Ukraine that was orchestrated by the Soviet leader, Joseph Stalin. And after this uh, famine that happened in Ukraine that was orchestrated, Stalin imported Russians and Soviets into eastern Ukraine to, to help repopulate the area. 
that had been taken out by this famine. And ever since then, uh, eastern Ukraine has had some pretty strong Russian lean and strong influence uh, as far as language, religion, politics, culture, all of the works. And western Ukraine has remained a European-leaning or wanting to go European-leaning in the same areas, language, uh, religion, politics, culture, all of that stuff. So then, uh, this is still during the time of the Soviet Union, and in 1991, the Soviet Union collapses. We all know about this story. Uh, And then, after that, that is when this country of Ukraine becomes independent and leaves the Soviet Union because there is no longer a Soviet Union. Union and Ukraine has struggled basically ever since to unite its country because it has always been a house divided against itself between east and west and ever since the beginning of time practically and so that kind of set up the 21st century conflict and here in the 21st century we have seen back in 2014 that uh, there was a a movement called I believe is the orange revolution or the orange revolt and the, the Revolution of Dignity, which was an attempt to oust their president or prime minister or whatever they call him and overthrow their government. And this person that they pulled in that they were trying to overthrow was Yanuk. Uh, I believe his name, how you say it, is Yanukovych, but I don't know. It's Yanukovych, maybe? Yeah, something Yanukovych, like that. something like that. It's it's one of those very hard-to-pronounce uh Russian Ukrainian type names but that's the person that they were trying to get rid of during this revolution and he actually asked Russia for help to come step in and Russia did and they went into Crimea which is now the area that has been annexed by Russia that happened in 2014 and the Yanukovych went into Russia for like amnesty or hiding or whatever and ever since then there has been a big separatist movement um, in the Donbass region of Ukraine. And so I have here in my notes that results uh, in declaration of Russian-backed people's republics. So right now there are two major factors in eastern Ukraine, and those would be the People's Republic of Luhansk and Donetsk. And those are the two that we are seeing a lot of influence from here. And Cameron, if you want to go ahead and talk a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now, well, here we are in uh, 2022. And basically, uh, from my understanding, and to make it very simple for all you guys that listen, and thanks so much for uh, for taking, you know, for giving us a chance and listening in. Um, so basically, the uh, the Russians are building up um, troops um, in certain parts of Russia and also Crimea that, uh, like uh, Isaiah said, they annexed in 2014, um, and also in the Donbass region, which is controlled by Russian-backed separatists. Um, and so what has happened in the last day or so is that Putin, or Vladimir Putin, the what the president right of Russia, mm-hmm. of the Russian Federation, um, he has declared those areas controlled by the Russian-backed separatists um, to be independent, right? Um, that is uh, trying to say, you know, like, oh, well, these are independent regions um, because they're they're controlled by us. 
or, you know, controlled by people that back Russia. And in my opinion, that is what's going to give them like the, uh, the go ahead, if you will, to mm-hmm. be like, well, we might as well take this because it's controlled by the people that support us. Yeah. Um, they already want to be a part of Russia. Right. That portion. Right. But, um, Ukraine, you know, doesn't want them to. <laughs> I was explaining um, this to my girlfriend last night because I was trying to explain to her the significance of, um, of Putin recognizing uh, the independence or the sovereignty of Luhansk and Donetsk. I was trying to kind of explain like the importance of that. And I was like, um, imagine if California finally admitted to themselves that they want to be part of China. And then China was like, yeah, um, California is separate from the U S it would be uh, sort of on an even playing field. Yeah. Um, but some of the places that, and just to give you guys an idea, so basically Ukraine is below Russia. Um, it is to the uh, to the south of Russia. And you have um, right above Ukraine next to Russia is Belarus. And then to the left of Ukraine you have Poland. And then you have Slovakia and Hungary. Then below Ukraine you have Romania and uh, Moldova, Bold- if I'm saying that correctly. But um, so... To the north of Ukraine, in uh, Rachitska, and I, I'm going to be honest, I can't even say the name of this town, Novozoy Bykov. I, I can't say that, but um, I tried. Um, those God two knows. towns specifically, um, we're seeing uh, Russian uh, troops build up. And then um, in the Donbass region and directly outside of it, and there are large buildups in uh, Yelena, if I'm saying that correctly, and um, Crimea, which, like we said, was annexed by Russia. Um, yeah, I will be honest. This this will be much easier for people listening if you pull out a map and if you're familiar. Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, if it, you can actually see this uh, for yourself rather than us explaining it to you and you imagining it, um, it would probably be more beneficial to you. But for the sake of what a podcast is, right? But th- that's just kind of like an easy way to look at it. Um, basically, to explain it in five seconds or less, um, Ukraine is having a buildup of troops around it on all sides except the west. Um, basically, um, and what this is doing is this is giving Russia, this is giving the Kremlin, this is giving Vladimir Putin his options, right? So, um, he has his options to either, um, just thrust straight into that Donbass region, into those states that are controlled by the Russian backed separatists and be like, Hey, this is ours now. Take it quickly and fast. Um, or say if Russia has deeper intentions that they do believe that Ukraine is truly theirs. Um, they would be able to invade from three different sides of Ukraine, from the Crimea to the uh, to the west, or not to the west, sorry, to the south, from C- Crimea on the south, um, on the on the top of the Black Sea, and then from Belarus, uh, from the north of Ukraine, and um, be able to basically pincer uh, Kiev and uh, Ukraine, and hope in for Russia's sake, um, take it quickly. Uh, because they will be fi- Ukraine will be fighting on so many fronts that it won't be able to um, to hold itself back. And obviously, uh, Ukraine ha- is having a lot of support from NATO backed or NATO, you know, from NATO countries, specifically the United States. But um, if if Russia was to truly put all their might into this, um, unless all of the NATO countries were willing to go to actual war over this. Um, Russia is set up in a very good position to take all of Ukraine if they truly wanted it, in mm-hmm. my personal opinion. Yeah. And I don't think that, I mean, the 
our position here is this is not something that NATO should be willing to do. Uh, the, the whole area is unstable anyways uh, and has been for a very long time. And something that we kind of glossed over, it's somewhat significant to what's going on right now, is there was a series of agreements called the Minsk Agreements. Those in 1993, if I remember correctly. And so right? there was, I think, there was Minsk One and Minsk Two, and uh, talks began in like 2014 and then like 2015 and stuff. Oh, there's something was, from the 90s. Yeah, the, between like us and Ukraine. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, these were. Yeah. So these, the Minsk agreements do not involve America whatsoever, I and see. this is what's currently being somewhat disputed right now. And this is the Minsk agreements are somehow still seen as the standard or the protocol whenever dealing with incidents involving the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, but basically, the Minsk agreements were a series of agreements that were agreed to by Russia, Ukraine, and it was the Russian Federation, Ukraine, and uh, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. And it involved, it involved those separatist regions of Ukraine in uh, Donetsk and uh, Luhansk. And they all sort of made this agreement, but there's very shaky grounds on what this agreement means, and there's no, there's no actual line that says if you cross this, then this is what a, right. a, a breach right. of the agreement means. And so to the people of Luhansk and Donetsk, <clears throat> any sort of government by Ukraine over them is a breach of this agreement. Uh, because in the agreement there was somewhat of a like a um, I forget the word exactly that I'm looking for, but it was basically a stipulation saying that the Donbass region was like self-sufficient and could right. be self-governed, and any government by Ukraine, the Donbass region, the separatist region, immediately sees that as a breaching contract. But yeah. obviously Ukraine is going to govern their own land, which they still see. Donbass as their own land and so that's why this Minsk agreement is completely faulty in every facet it's failed now once and then we're now on Minsk 2 and the separatist region has completely said that they're done with the Minsk 2 agreement the only people that are still somewhat holding to it is Ukraine and the Russian Federation but that's what we're kind of seeing now where the Russian Federation after acknowledging the separatists this some people are speculating of is this a breach in the Minsk agreement um so to kind of round this out let's talk about what do we what do we think here that the United States what should our position be right should we continue to be the police of the world and tell Ukraine and Russia what they need to do um and, or you know threaten what's going to happen if they if they don't comply with us or NATO or whatever and I think we, you know, are in agreement here that um, this is not America's fight. This is not something we should have American bodies, American troops, Americans, you know, armed forces on the ground for. Um, if we truly, you know, if, if we want Ukraine to stay Ukraine and not a part of Russia, then by all means, like, I don't like I don't see a problem with things like sanctions or, uh, well, the sanctions in a certain sense could be bad for us because we are dependent on OPEC's energy, and uh, if they decide they want to hike the prices on us because of that, it is going to screw us as Americans at the at the gas pump. 
specific, uh, particularly. But, um, like, I honestly, if that, if that's going to be America's diplomatic position, right, like, sanctions and things like that uh, are not the worst. But the idea that we have troops on the ground there is just mm-hmm. ridiculous. Like, they are not a NATO country. This is not our fight. This is a border dispute between Ukraine and Russia. And they should... To dispute they, that's been very, it has a long history, too. It's not right. anything new. And they should sort it out. That's their problem, not ours. Um, I'm sure everyone is aware we have lots of problems here at home. We got to fight, and uh, this is this is not the fight for Americans. This is not the fight a lot of Americans want either. Like the uh, what am I trying to say? The popularity, or you know, like the the readiness to go to war to fight for the Ukrainians is very low. Like most mm-hmm. Americans do not want to go into this because it, there's nothing in it for us, right? Like it's like oh, well, you'd be helping these people. It's like, yeah, well, why don't we let some other country that's closer to them, like, I don't know, Germany, France, Italy, Hungary, anyone, help them before us. Germany and France actually have a reason to be involved because with these Minsk agreements that I was talking about just a minute ago, they, uh, Germany and France were the mediators of this agreement. So they were the ones who were kind of facilitating this agreement between Ukraine and Russia uh, that was all Germany and France. So any breach in this agreement or any fight or dispute over this agreement um, obviously could pull those mediators back into play. And But that would be all Germany and France. And I know America has this really bad habit of saying just because they're allies of ours that we have we to be involved. involved. But this was a thing. This was a undertaking that Germany and France took on their own as sovereign nations under their own free will, and they acted uh, together to to perform and mediate this this agreement. This had nothing to do with America. America was completely out of this. Uh, just because we're allies with France and Germany does not mean that we are responsible for their involvement in the Minsk Agreement. And it doesn't mean that we get to be pulled into this conflict all because... Uh, Russia and Ukraine and the separatist regions don't want to abide by the agreement that Germany and France gave them. Right. So um, I guess with some closing remarks here, uh, I'm going to keep it simple on my end. Uh, This is not, like I said, this is not America's fight. This is not the fight for our people. It's uh, it's a dispute between Russia and Ukraine. And I say let them fight for it if they really want to. Um, We got our own problems, and this, this ain't one of them. So, anything from you? I mean, yeah, this is a highly disputed region anyways. The separatist region especially, the Donbass region especially, is extremely disputed. And all of eastern Ukraine is something that has always been in turmoil and in uh, dispute. And so, I believe Ukraine has a decision to make on whether they're willing to fight a war over the land uh, that they want there in that region or if they would be willing to give that up and pull their citizens and their people who want to be involved in Ukraine back into western Ukraine and I think that would be a decision for them to make and either way America has no skin in the game in any of this not in any way whatsoever and uh, the sanctions that you mentioned earlier while I do agree in sanctions and I think that we should be sanctioning uh, much more people than we are right now. I think that we should be sanctioning 
Australia, uh, what's going on in Canada. Of course, there's not many, many goods coming across from Canada because of the current situation. However, these should be areas that we would be focused on as well outside of this whole Russian-Ukrainian conflict. Uh, that's not really our lane to be in. And we've kind of lost that bargaining power of sanctions anyways, but that's a different topic for a different day. Um, yeah, I mean, I pr I'm, I'm pretty satisfied uh, in what I have to say. If you don't have anything else to say. Nope, uh, just uh, America first. We stick by that, especially me, uh, Cameron Hunt. I stick by that. America first always. And this does not have Americans first in mind. This has Americans' lives American resources, American money, um, not for the purpose of us, but for the purpose of others that wouldn't even help us if we needed them. Um, so I say let them fight for it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with that, uh, that will be the end of this episode. We'll go ahead and close it. So thank you all for listening. If you stuck around through this whole thing, hopefully you learned something. You gained a little bit more knowledge about the history and the current situation of this dispute and conflict and hopefully now you know a little bit more about why this is not first of all this is not anything new and second of all this is not anything that america uh should be involved in and so now that you have the knowledge uh you can use that uh in these arguments against people who are war hungry and want us to get involved in places that we shouldn't be involved and be the world's police in places that we shouldn't so thank you all for listening uh god bless you all God bless America, and liberty necessitates continuous action.